father. Good morning, John Ray. Cold this morning? Today, this morning, it is a bit chilly. The wind's going probably, what, 50 degrees or something? But when the wind is blowing, I mean, it, that it cuts through. And it's not going to get any warmer. I mean, like, it'll warm up to, like, maybe 65 today. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And then it'll drop back down. Yeah. I'm 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 okay with cold weather. As yeah. long as I'm as long as I have clothes for it, I'm I'm perfectly all right with it. I would rather put on more clothes than sweat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've said on this podcast before that uh, you know, people that would come down to Louisiana whenever they're uh studying in seminary, they said uh the weather in Louisiana is like taking a really hot shower with all your clothes on and then just going about your day. One hundred percent. So that uh but it it does feel good this week. I think next week we said it was going to get into the 30s. Not freezing. Not freezing. Just because we dipped down into the 30s doesn't mean we're going to freeze. I mean, at least it's not forecasted yet. It could be forecasted that day. And now, look, if it starts to like rain when it's in the 30s, it's freezing. <laughs> oh, is that is that what it is? It gets too cold. Yeah, well, it's a good thing that we are um, good at interpreting and talking about scripture and church teachings and not having to predict the weather. Yeah. The, uh, so when my knee hurts, that's when it gets too cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and by we, it's a good thing you are, and I'm just here for comic relief. Hey, there we go. So I think we're up to four listeners now. So. Four listeners. I, you told this is episode me, 58. 58. I What's uh, unique about five and eight? 58. Five plus eight is 13. 13 has got to be something, right? It's one well, more than oh, hold 12. Up, hold up now. Okay, I was going to say. 12 I, is the tribes of Israel. It's so it's, 12 stars around Mary in the book of Revelation. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> one of our listeners will post and help us out. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing with 13? Oh, I'm sure there is. I mean, there's secular stuff with 13, like, you know. Lucky number 13? Like, most places don't have a 13th floor. Did you know that? No, I didn't yeah. know that. Well, I, I don't know if that's true. That's just what I heard. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. I thought 13 was lucky. Maybe. Or it's scary. This is our lucky episode. This is because it's episode 58, <laughs> yeah, which it's is our lucky 13 episode. if you add it together. Yep. Here we go. All right. Well, that was fun. Well, on our lucky episode, I wanted to kind of dive into the figure of St. John. Jesus' favorite. Yep. Hey, but look. God has favorites. People don't like to hear that. Uh, <laughs> but people don't like that. But God has favorites. I'm sorry, He likes me more, Father. Look, that's that's perfectly possible. God has favorites. Uh, At least today, I'll tell you about tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so yeah, usually His favorites are the ones that you know suffer the most. So was it? There was a quote by I, I have think, a 14 year old and a 13 year old. There's a lot yeah. of suffering. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a, a Catherine of Siena. It's kind of a quote attributed to her, but no one can find it. You know, it's either Catherine of Siena or Teresa of Avila. Said, I think it's Catherine of Siena when she was being drugged by a donkey through the mud. She said, what? at least that's what I heard. She said, what? We'll say it. I know okay, what you're okay, going to say. Yeah. Uh, it said, uh, if you suffer more, uh, it means God loves you. Uh, and he, and then she says something like, I wish God didn't love me so much then. Or, oh, see, that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking that while she was being drugged through the mud on the way to tell the Pope to go back to Rome, um, at least I think this is how it happened. Um, it was Catherine of Siena that went to France to mm-hmm. tell the Pope to go back to Rome. Um, she was suffering, being drugged through the mud, right? Yeah. And she said, uh, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, friends, no wonder you have so few of them. Yeah, that's the quote. That's yeah. the quote. Yep. <laughs> 
So uh, St. John, God's favorite, <laughs> or Jesus' <laughs> favorite among his 12 disciples. I mean, that's scriptural. Like, yeah, the one that he loved. The, the beloved. So uh, the figure of St. John, I want to go into a little bit about him because I began my homily by saying that this gospel passage is, I think, one of the longest. Uh, it's definitely one of the longest. I'm not sure if it's the longest. And there's not even a short version. Like I tried to find the short version for Lexio with the RCIA candidates so we didn't eat up half of RCIA reading just the gospel passage mm-hmm. before we meditated on it. Yeah. No short version. Well, there's a short version. It's just like but over it's really 20 not verses. Short. Yeah, it's not much shorter. <laughs> the, uh, so this one's like, I think, 40 verses or something like that. And it's one of the longest gospel passages uh, in this three-year lectionary, the three-year cycle for readings on, on Sunday Mass. And we so, talked about that at RCIA as well. I'm going to go on a bunch of tangents today because my mind's like all over the place. Okay. Um, the, the cycle, I was like, man, I really hope that Father Poirier reads the correct reading today. I didn't realize we were in year A. Oh. So, but we talked about the cycle, A, B, and C, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we do the scrutinies, we always come back to the, this gospel reading in the cycle A, yes. right? And, um, and so I was nervous you were going to read the wrong prep reading. to your homily for B or C, whatever year I thought we were in. Yeah, and, last year when I did the scrutinies, I wrote two different homilies. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so when it's something like that, I'll write two different Deacon homilies. feels so good at reminding us what to do. <laughs> so uh, Okay, so you were saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, 40 so, verses? 40 verses. It would have taken like all day for us to go into and unpack everything with the gospel. Um, we're not going to do that here, right? No. Okay. And like even here. <laughs> I mean... And so I'll, I'll be honest with you in my, uh, my own shortcomings for this past week. I usually, I read the church fathers and Aquinas for every single, uh, read set of readings for Sunday, right? Just to make sure, make sure in my own biblical studies, you know, they're, they're the creme, creme de la creme, right? This is the top of the line stuff. Well, for this one, I didn't because it was so long and I just didn't have enough time. I did, I, I did research on it, but I didn't go to the, to the primary, right? And now I use faithful sources that use the church fathers and Aquinas to explain it. But to go to the primary, I think that's kind of a duty, especially for something, someone like me who's got so to explain it. So what you're saying it. is this time you just went to the cliff notes. I went to the cliff notes. Yeah. Uh, and I, look, prayed with it because, like, I could just about imagine Aquinas taking this and, like, oh, it's 100 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, not ready for that, <laughs> you know, or at least not within a week and this week. Uh, so um, a lot like of the images. You're carrying the burden of St. Pius right now. It would, if Father Brady was in, I would have been able to, but uh, <laughs> since he's out, I had to kind of cut Kick my Kick him losses. while he's down. Yeah. Uh, so with this one, like a lot of the images and even the names of the places, oh, let's back up. St. John is a literary master. I said at the beginning of my homily that he is a spiritual master. He's the spiritual writer of the Gospels because whenever he writes his Gospel, his number one focus is to prove that Jesus Christ is God, right? He wrote his Gospel much later than the other three Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so he was responding to a different need that the church was experiencing. Namely, that people were saying that Jesus Christ was not truly God. He was just another one of the prophets. 
And so when St. John writes his, his gospel, his, his letters, and the book of Revelation, his primary you know, motive is to prove that Jesus Christ is God and the divinity of Jesus Christ. So he has been hailed throughout the church's history as the spiritual writer of the gospel writers. So he is a spiritual master. Okay, now putting that aside, St. John, in his own right, is a literary master. A literary master. Everything he uses is re- has a reason. Every number, every location, every figure, whether they have a name or they don't have a name, those have reasons. Every single thing has a reason. I remember we were talking about the book of Revelation a few months ago, and I kind of just dropped that whenever we were studying the book of Revelation in, in uh, seminary, that for the first, I think, like three or four classes, we spent on just the first, like, eight verses. This is like, people, this is like five hours of intense scripture study. We spent on the first, like, eight verses of the book of Revelation because he's constantly making references to multiple uh, things in the Old Testament or things that are happening right then and there. And so he does not mince words. Everything he writes has a reason. And so he is, in his own right, a literary master. I was just talking with uh, a friend of mine who, who has, is getting his doctorate in literature, and, uh, and we were talking about the figure of St. John, and, and he says that, you know, for him, Personally, St. John was always just kind of the biggest figure for him. And it makes sense, right? Because he's, uh, he's a literary professor and, and St. John's a literary master. Mm-hmm. So kind of bringing, I, I, I wanted to kind of preface that because I don't, whenever we unpack the writings of St. John, there's always something more. Always something more. And usually when people read his readings for the first time, they can be misguided and just think of like the low-hanging fruit, right? Oh, okay, so it means this, right? So for instance, our gospel, uh, Jesus meets a woman at the well. She has five husbands, and she, uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, the one who's not your husband. Um, and then she leaves and she said, oh, look, this man who knows my whole life, he is truly God, right? And so people may think, like, oh, yeah, that's Jesus encountering someone in a wayward situation and then repenting and then truly kind of like living up to that standard and God is calling someone out of there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense, yes. Is that what St. John was thinking of or like writing about? No, that's not what, that's not the primary motive of what, like the, this woman at the well. Uh, it's so dense. And so I want to just kind of unpack a little bit of it. The first thing with our first reading, Moses striking the rock. Um, the church fathers say that Moses, the church fathers, of course, the first Christians that lived for the first 500 years uh, that were writing on sacred scripture, they all said that Moses striking the rock in, in the desert represented Jesus Christ and the sacraments of the Catholic Church. Because the Israelite people experienced several miracles and then asked God for more. And so Moses struck the rock and they poured out water for them right, because they were thirsty. The church fathers equate that with the Jews 
wanted more and needed more. Humanity needed more. And so they asked God for more. And so they, God the Father struck the rock, which is Jesus Christ is the rock. Uh, St. Saint Paul in the first letter to the Corinthians says that Christ is the rock. Whenever he's explaining the situation with Moses, he strikes the rock and then pours out grace. Now, water is physical. Grace is not physical. So we need physical signs of an invisible reality. That's a sacrament. A sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality. And so these physical things, these sacraments, give invisible grace. That's the water from the rock. Water is the grace, but because it's water and it's physical, it represents the sacraments. The sacraments communicating grace to the church. And now picking that up, in our gospel, Jesus goes to a well. St. Augustine says that Jesus went to the well. He was tired. And so he went to the well. This is, uh, St. Augustine says that it's Jesus was, took on humanity. And that's why God was able to be tired. And that he was tired of pursuing man. He, he was exhausted from pursuing humanity. And so he went to Jacob's well. Now, Jacob's well, there are, I'll be honest, I forget why uh, they list Sikar, right? Sikar is the city in Samaria that they go to, a little town. Sikar has a certain meaning, uh, and that's why St. John uses it. Samaria, we'll kind of get into that. Uh, but he goes to Jacob's well. In the Old Testament, marriages happened at a well, right? Uh, there was five very famous weddings that happened at a well. And so when St. John says that Jesus is tired and he's pursuing humanity and he goes to this town called Sychar, which means something I'm forgetting, uh, and then he goes to a well, that means Jesus is going, essentially, right, he's ascended, he's now processed down the altar. Mm-hmm. He's ready to get married. I, when you said that yesterday in your homily, um, I was halfway listening. Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, I never heard that before. I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he has intentions that are bigger than water. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so he goes to the well and he meets a Samaritan woman. Now, St. John does not list that woman's name. That's, her, that's for a reason. Because she represents the Samaritan people. And of course, it's at high noon, right? Now, I'm sure our listeners have heard this before. Maybe not. I, I hear things a lot, and I never know if other people hear this a lot. So what did you hear? That, uh, that people would draw water in the morning or in the evening because that's when it's cool. And you can go with other people, right? So you're not attacked or anything. But this woman goes at high noon, right? So it's blistering hot. She's by herself. She's not part of the community. She's ostracized. This means that she is in some way, shape, or form living uh, a life not in conformity with um, the community, which mm-hmm. is not a good life, yeah. right? whatever that means. Huh? And so in some way, shape, or form, this woman has, or this, these people, this Samaritan people has ostracized themselves, uh, and Jesus seeks them out. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is seeking out the Samaritan people. Um, 
the Samaritan people in the first book of Kings, I think it's the first book of Kings. Well, uh, I mean, for our listeners mm-hmm. to not miss what you just said, yeah. can I just put it in? Absolutely. Terms? Absolutely. Um, you know, if scripture is the story of yesterday and today, right? If scripture is the story of what happened at Jesus's time and what is currently happening in our lives today, if the Samaritan woman is everything that you just said that she is ultimately a sinner, mm-hmm. right? She's living some sinful lifestyle and she's hiding. She wants to be alone and Jesus seeks her out. Is that not what he does for us? Right? Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you feel like your sin has isolated you from the community, it's not too late to come back. Jesus is actively seeking you out. Absolutely. The, uh, the Samaritan people ostracize themselves whenever they forsook the, Jew, the one true God. Right? So in the first book of Kings, it lists that the Samaritans brought in five pagan idols into the temple. And at that point, that's when the rift happened between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so whenever Jesus says you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband, St. John is directly pointing to the Samaritan people not worshiping the one true God. Right? Again, this goes back to St. John's ultimate purpose, that Jesus Christ is the one true God. Uh, and so whenever he says you have five husbands and the one you have is not your husband, he's saying, Samaritan people, I want to marry you. The people that are away from me, the people that are not part of the Jewish community, which the Jew, he was, Jesus was a Jew, and he came to fulfill the, Jew, uh, the Jewish prophecies. And so when the people that aren't part of that plan the people that are not part of the Jewish family outside of the law of God. Jesus is pursuing them too. The people that are away, that have forsook the one true God, Jesus actively gets tired seeking them out and wants to marry them and bring them back. So that means that if you've run across our podcast today for the first time and you don't actively come to church and it's been a while or maybe never, Jesus is actively pursuing you as well. Absolutely. In fact, if this is the first time you listen to this podcast, or it's been a while since you've been to church, you've been to confession, then know this, Father Poirier gets tired of seeking you out. That mm. The whole reason why we do this is so he that you He gets tired from it. seeking you out. He doesn't get tired of seeking you out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But I, we, I actively take on, priests actively take on so much more to seek you out. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's the whole reason why we do this podcast. That's the whole reason why we do these talk series or we do this or we do that. That's, that's kind of why we do it is to actively seek people out. So Jesus actively seeking out this woman at the well. And he said, of course, they have this dialogue about the water and the water is resembling of Moses in the Old Testament striking the, uh, the rock. Right. That's why we started off with that. Jesus. Uh, makes these connections, like, you seek water, that will pair, I'll give you water of new life, right? So he's talking about grace. Yeah, I, I will give you something that will fulfill you. The Samaritan people who's been away from God have sought fulfillments in so many different ways, huh? the pleasures of the body, all these things, uh, things that, spiritual th- things that have, that just threw them away from Jesus Christ. Um, and none of them fulfilled them. And that's, that's so important for people to realize. When you try to seek fulfillment away from Jesus, it will not fulfill you. 
because our hearts are restless until they may until they rest with thee. Right? And so I we are made for eternity. We are made for love with Jesus Christ. And so when we try to seek that away from him, it ain't going to work. We talked about that last, uh, I had the opportunity to go and speak to our teens at Life Teen last night. It's been a hot minute since I've spoke to teenagers. Um, but they're unpacking a series right now. It's a four-part series on Aquinas' substitutes, right, for God. Um, mm. Wealth, power, pleasure, and status. And we talked about pleasure last night. And ultimately, like, God desires that we have pleasure, right, in the midst of our suffering and, you know, all of that. God created us to enjoy good food, to enjoy good company, to have, you know, to enjoy pleasures as long as they're not a replacement for him. And in the emptiness that you talk about is when we seek the pleasure to replace the, the, the God-sized hole in our life, mm -hmm. right? Um, the, the pleasure that we ultimately seek, the peace that we ultimately seek is found only in God. Our hearts are restless. Mm -hmm. the, uh, and so... Jesus pursues the Samaritan people, talks about the water that will truly fulfill them, this grace of the Holy Spirit uh, that will be given in the sacraments uh, if they repent and believe in the gospel. Um, and then this, the Samaritan woman, um, she leaves a jar. And look, I'm, I'm brushing over a lot of different details with, with this, right? I mean, it's over 40 verses. Uh, or about, it's probably like 39 or 40, something like that. You can't uh, count. It's long. <laughs> uh, and so he, uh, I'm kind of brushing over a few of the, the details. She leaves a jar behind and she runs and goes and tells everyone. Well, the jar is what you collected the water in. What, she, that thing's heavy. And she left it behind. She left behind something heavy that she carried every day. And she carried uh, in the embarrassment, right, at noon. So she's going, this is an attachment. This is something that's attached at her hip that she feels like she needs to have. And, and in a real way, she kind of does, right, to collect the water. Uh, but the water that perishes, not the eternal water. Not the water from the Holy Spirit, not the not grace. This jar that's heavy that she carries by herself in isolation uh, from everyone else, she leaves it behind. That's leaving behind the sin. That's leaving behind all these attachments, all these things that I try to fill myself up with, but never truly fulfill me. Every day I have to keep coming back to these things because they never truly fulfill me. I have to keep coming back to this sin, keep coming back to this attachment because it may, you may think it fulfills you, uh, but in reality it never does. Even if it may feel like it for just a few moments, it always leaves you empty, just like that jar. Mm. It's always empty, always empty. And when you go, it's always an embarrassment. When you go back to it, it's always embarrassing. It's just like her going at noon. So to kind of tie a bow on it, um, I think the takeaway here is that um, our sin isolates us from the community, right? Whether we know it does or not, whether, whether we're aware of that or not, it, the reality is our sin isolates us and our Lord is constantly pursuing, 
constantly inviting us. It's, it's what I told the teens last night, you know, the image of the prodigal son, he runs out to, but, but the reality is in our lives, he never left. Like he doesn't have to run to us because he's with us. So wherever you find yourself today, even if it's in the midst of, you know, turmoil of sin, God is with you right now. Um, he hasn't left you and he's beckoning you to come home. And so like the woman who left her heavy burden at the well after she encountered Jesus who had been pursuing her, um, is that not the sacrament of confession? I mean, I don't know. And you, know? And you just brought it full circle, bringing in the sacrament of confession. Yeah, so um, go ahead. Because Jesus says in the gospel, she says, the Jews worship on this mountain, but the Samaritans worship on this mountain. And Jesus says, uh, yes, you're right, uh, but you wor- y'all worship something you don't understand. There will come a time where Jews neither worship on that mountain or you worship on this mountain. Jesus is talking about the sacraments at that point. Mm. That Catholics, know, uh, his people no, don't no longer have to go to this certain mountain in this obscure desert. We can worship God on the mountain right here. The mountain of, this, of the church. The mountain of St. Pius Catholic Church on Kali Saloon. Or the, the mountain of cathedral. Or the mountain of, you know, St. Edmunds or St. Edwards. or Saint, Whatever Catholic church you're a part of, you can worship God on that mountain receive the water and, and encounter God right there. And when she finds that, and when she hears that, she immediately leaves, she leaves her sin, and she goes and tells the whole community. Because that's, that's the faith. That's the evangelization part. That's the, I got to keep the faith just not to myself. Mm. That God overflows my cup, and so I have no other choice but to share it, Right. I can't, uh, it's spilling over. And so I might as well let it spill over into another cup. I had a individual, um, share with me about uh, a time that this person went to confession uh, first time in like 45 years. And they equated it to having a cancer removed from them. Mm-hmm. Like as they walked out of the confessional, they said it was as if they had been, that they had had a cancer, a burden removed. Right. So wherever you find yourself today, um, it doesn't matter how long it's been since you've been to confession. It doesn't matter how, wh- whether you, whether you remember how to do it or not. Um, every day at St. Pius, we have an opportunity for confessions twice a day, um, 30 minutes before our masses. Um, are we hearing confessions on Wednesday nights during the, um, yes. so every Wednesday night, um, we have adoration, Eucharistic adoration, and we have an opportunity for confessions, um, on Saturdays from three to four thirty. Um, or, or call the office and schedule some time with father. Um, don't, don't wait to be welcomed back, right? To experience that cancer cut out of your life. Lent is a perfect opportunity to be reconciled and, and to be welcomed back home. Jesus is pursuing us, getting, he's exhausted at how fast he's pursuing us and wants to marry his people. Mm. If you've liked this episode, I want to encourage you to share it with a friend. Be sure to like us or follow us on your podcast listener of choice. We look forward to seeing you all this weekend at Mass. God bless. God bless.